Amen. Thanks, Stuart. Well, good morning. George Verwell got a table, Stuart. And Rachel Wilson got a table. I didn't get a table. No, you're all right. Oh, no. <laughs> Just joking. So, <laughs> um, I live in a small village just outside Tumbridge Wells, so I have the pleasure of navigating the, uh, the rush hour traffic um, to town each day before I start work. And um, if I go the main roadway to, from Pembury to Tumbridge Wells, it takes about 30 minutes. Um, however, there's, there's a neat little lane you can, you can whip down that, that knocks my journey down to about 12 minutes, something like that on a clear run up to 30 minutes if it's congested but um but it's one of those sort of lanes it's only one car wide in some places and uh, it's a sort of lane you, you you hope that no one else is brave enough to go down at the same time as you and uh, and, it, and and if they avoid it then you get a clear run through which is great but um one morning last summer uh, uh, the sun was shining and it's about 7:30 in the morning something like that and as i set off for work i decided to go the shortcut uh, down the lane and uh, there were no other cars around I was driving along I turned my worship music up full blast actually and was happily singing along and enjoying the warmth and uh, you know it was just nothing could have phased me at that time I was driving along singing enjoying the scenery one hand in the air as I'm driving along sort of worshipping and, uh, uh, and then to my surprise as I went round a corner there was a whole pile of traffic there, and I was heading for it at quite a speed. So instinctively, I grabbed the steering wheel. I, I, I sort of, other foot, stamped on the brakes, and, uh, and I was trying to avoid a full-on collision. It was, you know, I was leaning back in the car. It was quite scary, and thankfully, I stopped before hitting the car in front and uh, sat there recovering from the shock, just gripping the steering wheel for a few seconds, sort of telling myself off a bit, if I'm honest. Uh, uh, but then if that wasn't bad enough, something awful happened then and uh, my stereo was still full blast and uh, as, as I was sort of thinking oh I've got to turn the music down I, I, I was still gripping the steering wheel and I let go of the steering wheel to turn my stereo off and my steering wheel clicked and it, it was then I realised that actually and from the time I'd gripped the steering wheel and stamped on the brakes until I reached for the stereo that I'd been holding my horn down and um, I, I was, it was probably a good 10 to 15 seconds uh, where I'm just about a foot behind a car for 10 to 15 seconds with my horn on, blasting them off the road. And um, I nearly died, to be honest. Uh, I, I, I didn't know what to do. At first I thought I'd get out and apologise. And then I thought, well, look, if I get out my car, I've just blasted them for 15 seconds. If I get out my car and start banging on the window, they're, they're going to misinterpret it. Um, so then I thought, well, maybe I can sort of just do some hand signals. And I'm not sure what sorry hand signals look like, but, you know, I thought, and then they're going to look at me in the ring mirror and I'm going, yeah, they're going to think I'm a madman. I, I, I literally didn't know what to do. And if a hole could have opened up in the ground and swallowed me up at that time, I'd have been really grateful for it. Um, then the questions and the shame and embarrassment got worse because this little voice in my head said, you're a pastor. What if they know you? Or what if it's a neighbour? What if it's someone who knows you or may even recognise you in the future? So if you're here, I'm sorry. Um, but my life started falling to pieces as I, as I thought about um, all of the potential things that could possibly go wrong with that. And I couldn't do a lot about it. So I did the next best thing I could do. 
I reached over into my glove compartment, and in there was a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> and I very quickly put the sunglasses on to hide myself away behind this person in the car. And if I'd have had a long blonde wig, I'd have put it on. Or maybe a beard, and well, I've got a beard, so I'll quick shave it off or something like that. Anyway, um, but there we go. And, and as the cars pulled away, I just sort of took it a little easier and just lagged a little bit further and further behind, um, just so I didn't get recognised. And thankfully, a couple of roads later, they, um, they turned left and I turned right, uh, not before I'd pulled alongside them and sort of prior to turning, given them a nice side view of of what I look like, just to help them identify me in the future a little bit more. That's a fun example of something that's pretty embarrassing, but thankfully I don't think anyone was hurt, to the best of my knowledge. And, uh, and we've all done stuff. We've all got potential baggage that we can't just laugh off. Uh, and that's what I'd like to look at today. Um, and in fact, there, there are some things that have happened in the past that sometimes echo back to us time and time again and potentially uh, cause us to carry shame and carry regrets and to carry condemnation. Things that actually hold us back from living life to the full because we're walking in condemnation and shame. And uh, at the heart of what I believe God wants uh, us to hear today is that we no longer need to walk in shame. And there's a way of dropping the unhealthy shame, condemnation and regrets and picking up life in Jesus. So to look at this uh, a little more depth, I want to touch a little on how we handle potentially shameful situations, in particular situations where we've done something wrong or messed up uh, in some way. We call that sin. It's really important we understand this because at the heart of it is the fact that Jesus died to pay the price for our sins, the things we've done wrong. Or, or, so if we're carrying shame and regret, then it means we, we're maybe not applying the whole gospel to our lives. And if that's the case, then we're not living the life God designed us to live. And we're walking, carrying something that I don't believe we were designed to carry and, uh, or indeed need to carry. And inevitably, it's going to limit our lives in different ways, many ways. So I wanted to draw out a few understandings um, uh, because um, on, on how we handle things that we do wrong, um, to just start to open up how we might potentially handle shame. So overall, what I'd like us to do is see why we need to go to battle with shame and condemnation and see the options we have to be free from this. So before we do that, I think it would be really helpful to define a couple of words so we're all on the same wavelength, because if we get these definitions wrong, then we're in hot water. Um, so two, the two words I'd like to define are this, condemnation and conviction. You see, judgment or condemnation means a sentencing that leads to punishment. Uh, it crisis in, in, in Greek, it's close to the word crisis. Uh, and it speaks of accusation and damnation. Conviction, however, is, is a revelation where the, the verdict of that, that something is wrong, in, in the Greek it's elkengo, um, which is to tell of our faults. Which, uh, it's a conviction that leads to correction. Um, it could be revealed um, by the Holy Spirit, by reading the Word, by other Christian brothers or sisters, our conscience, or other ways that God speaks to us. Um, and Jesus said this in John 
16, speaking of him, Jesus, who's going and sending the Holy Spirit, who is going to convict the world. He said, if I do go away, then I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. So Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit and the, the, the Holy Spirit's work in conviction of sin uh, and of a, of a future judgment that's coming. He didn't say we were going to be condemned by the Holy Spirit now. No, we're to be convicted to guide us to righteousness with God. No shame. And sometimes I think we get the two words, condemnation and conviction, mixed up. And we end up thinking that God is condemning us when actually he's convicting us. And if we live in the, 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 the condemnation, then we live as if we're in a wrong place with God. And we reorder our lives, our behaviours, our patterns of life um, around living as condemned people. And we're not. This leads to a redefining of our relationship with God and a limiting of our potential because we're crippled with, with this false condemnation. And I don't think we're, we're called to live in either of these states um, for very long. Both are steps in a path, which we're going to look at shortly. I love how Paul con uh, counteracts condemnations in Romans 8. Um, and I'm going to dip in and out of Romans 8 to, to, to highlight um, some of this path ahead that, that we're going to look at this morning. Romans 8, uh, verses 1 to 2 in the uh, New Living Translation. Uh, I'm reading this from. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. Um, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And he did this so the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So Paul is saying that the difference between condemnation and conviction is the gospel. The difference is knowing Jesus and receiving the life-giving power of the, of the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And joining together Jesus' and Paul's words, the Spirit convicts of sin and equips us and frees us from the power of sin. So a question... Why do so many Christians feel condemned? I believe it's because we misinterpret conviction as condemnation. And then we follow a, a path in our minds that leads to, to, to anti-gospel sort of application of truth. And, and, and so in, in, instead of responding to the Holy Spirit's conviction um, by declaring the gospel truth over our lives and receiving forgiveness, we don't. We follow another path. So instantly we can see there are two ways to deal with our sins. From Romans 8, the way of the law, i.e. by rights we should be condemned, or by recognising what Jesus did for us on the cross through his body, dying for us and knowing that now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. So if we handle sin correctly by seeing it for what it is and for seeing us for who we are, then we can start to see the paths ahead. I'll continue a little more in Romans 8, it's verses 5 to 6. Those who are dominated by the spirit, um, uh, uh, dominated by the sinful nature, think about 
sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So we're well and truly taking a step down one of these paths and the path of condemnation or the path of conviction. And as a result of how we've interpreted the promptings, um, either um, as condemnation or conviction, it leads us to one of two places. The two places are shame or forgiveness. Again, in Romans 8, we saw, so God did what the Lord could not do. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. But if we stand condemning ourselves and not declaring the gospel truth that God has done what no man can do, then we start to live in shame. But if we recognize that inner prompting as conviction uh, rather than condemnation, um, it will remind us of what Jesus done, has done for us and allow us to step not into a place of shame but into a place of forgiveness. So what are you carrying? Shame? Forgiveness? Do you still feel guilty about stuff or are you free to f- live in forgiveness? If I'm really open with you, I think I carry a mixture of both. Um, I try to deal with stuff as it crops up, which it does. The dictionary describes shame as um, a, a painful feeling of humiliation or uh, distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. It's looking to the past and not applying the gospel and then adjusting our behavior wrongly because of this misinterpretation. And closely related to shame is anxiety, which instead of looking to the past, looks to the future. And it looks to the future with fears of humiliation or distress, potentially by doing something wrong. Both are paralyzing. Both, I believe, um, there's freedom from these today. If we want it, we're going to see how. Because I believe that how we look at our past will influence strongly how we behave in the now and how we treat the future and look into the future. So shame shows a misunderstanding of judgment and of the gospel. And I think that's a tactic of the devil to confuse people, to get the past, the present and the future all messed up. Here's what I mean. Um, Shame says judgment now. Forgiveness says judgment never. So if we experience condemnation, then we say judgment's now on us. Therefore, forgiveness of sins is never, because we've judged. And if we experience uh, conviction, then we say forgiveness is now. Therefore, judgment of sins is never, if we deal with it in the right way. And it's about ensuring that we have the right understanding of sin in the past and how we deal with it in the present that affects our walk in the future. One leads to eternal death, Paul says. One leads to eternal life. And we can get tricked into mixing up the now and the later to bring forward judgment to now and effectively bring condemnation in now. So forgiveness is impossible. It's a lie. And it's entirely possible that some of us have been living under that lie for years. I sat with someone once who was crying out that they couldn't be forgiven for what they'd done. And they were distraught, 
crying, slumped on the floor. They had their head in their hands, declaring over themselves that there was no way God could forgive them for what they'd done. And they just kept on saying, there's no way. There's no way. They'd asked for forgiveness, but were still living in condemnation. And they were inconsolable. And it never did get resolved. They lived in condemnation for months and months and months. And for some reason, refusing to just accept that God could forgive them. Now, they couldn't believe that Jesus could take all of their sin away. I believe Jesus had, but they hadn't recognized it. And they hadn't lived like it. I believe he was forgiven, but hadn't let go of the past. And as the shame and feelings of, of unforgiveness got worse for him, he stopped making contact. And I tried calling. And I tried texting. But he was just starting to hide away. The opposite to that revealing that, that the Holy Spirit does. He started to hide away. And the memories of the wrongs were forcing him to just hide away and stop that message of forgiveness breaking through. And one night, the mental torture got too much for him. And the burdens he carried got too much for him. And his life ended in a self-inflicted way. It was a waste of a life and he didn't have to live like that. And in this instance, I believe that he finally met his saviour. Who would have told him that he's forgiven. But his potential to declare the gospel and display Jesus here on earth to others that feel condemned and burdened was lost. He believed, but he for some reason hadn't received. And it was a waste. Shame says forgiveness never. Forgiveness says forgiveness now and shame never. Can you see the path we're walking down? When are we going to start truly living as forgiven people? I'm wondering if we really let go of the past that we've been forgiven of. Of, does it echo back at us occasionally? I wonder what it looked like if we truly lived as people free from all the past. Well, what do we do when the past echoes back at us into the present? We have a choice. We can live feeling condemned by it or we can declare the glorious gospel that Jesus died for the wrong we've done and will do and declare that it has no power over us and to choose life. The Bible teaches us to resist the devil and he'll flee and I think this is one of those times. Does that sound too hopeful? Can we let go of everything in the past? Is it too good to be true? I believe the Bible teaches that we can have hope in this. Romans 5 opens with a promise that we can have peace with God and it's through faith in him and putting our hope in him. So Romans 5, 5 to 8 says this, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel frees us from shame. The gospel brings forgiveness. The gospel brings hope and power and it demonstrates an opportunity for the hearer to turn to God and to experience his love, not his condemnation, by recognizing that Christ died for them. And these verses speak in Romans 5 of the ungodly or the unrighteous and of the righteous. 
How are we applying the gospel moving forward? Shame would tell us that we're unrighteous and unworthy. Forgiveness through Jesus would tell us that we're righteous and worthy. Why? Because our past is wiped clean. Our sins are forgiven. The power of sin is broken by the power of the life-giving spirit. Not because we've done anything. The verses before already told us that, that God did what the law could not do. But are we living it? Through what Jesus accomplished on the cross, God says, you are worthy. You are called my son or daughter. Walk with me. Live with me. Not in the future, but now too. Live with my presence. Host my presence. Be equipped for the future by me. Be baptized in my spirit and live for me. Let the gifts of the spirit flow in your lives to others. um, To strengthen them. To build my church for that living hope that equips us for life. That counters shame that counters the anxiety, that counters feelings of unforgiveness and allows us to live, to be free in Christ. The path ahead in Jesus is a path of hope and of life and of freedom in him. In case, in case you're wondering, it's, um, it's not a case that we can still continue to willingly sin and then ask for forgiveness. Paul addresses this later in his letter to the Romans where he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? And we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We're called after conviction, after forgiveness, to live a new life. A new life where sin is no longer your master where Paul commands us not to let sin reign in our bodies, not to live like we're under law, but under grace. Maybe a good question to ask ourselves um, that that might uncover um, stuff is, are we carrying anything that steals our peace? Do we feel peaceful about everything in the past? Shame would say peace never. Forgiveness would say peace now. Shame would say, no peace for you. How can there be? You did something wrong. You're not forgiven. You're not worthy. You're under judgment now. You're under shame now. And there's no other answer. Forgiveness would declare that the old has gone and the new has come. Forgiveness would declare that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our sin from us. Forgiveness would say there's now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. Paul in Ephesians 2 verse 5 writes, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And forgiveness declares grace and peace to you now. It's no wonder Paul starts most of his letters with that declaration, that Jesus brings grace and peace to the people Paul was writing to. Paul, who we heard earlier, declared he was the worst of sinners, declares freedom in Christ. He declares grace and peace through Jesus. Do you have his peace? I remember before my conversion to Christ, laying in my bed with no peace. I felt condemned, I felt shame. I knew I was living a life that wasn't right and I didn't know where to turn. Thankfully, the one who I needed to turn to had already turned to me. And I remember his words in my heart of, you're a sinner and you'll always be a sinner, but I love you. And I gave my life to him, everything felt a peace of heart, a true peace with God that I'd never, ever, ever felt before. 
peace. A few years uh, ago at home, my phone rang and it was a lady. And um, she called to tell me that she had cancer uh, and had just been given um, months to live. After some of the conversation, my, um, my question back to her was this. Have you, pow- have you found peace with God? And she humbly replied that she didn't really know what that meant. And it was a God-given opportunity to explain from the Bible what peace with God meant and how to get it and invite her to find peace with God through Jesus. And I believe she did on a later occasion when another person sat with her and again shared the gospel with her again. And I believe she's with Jesus now. Jesus said this about peace in John 14. He said, uh, uh, all this I've spoken to while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Condemnation and shame say you can never have peace. Jesus offers you his peace and says, don't let your hearts be troubled or afraid. Do you have his peace about everything? Let's move on. We're looking at the the consequences of how we understand the reminders of sin in our lives. Um, Do we condemn ourselves leading to shame or do we accept conviction by the Holy Spirit and be led to forgiveness in Jesus? You see, my concern is that if we live too long under condemnation, under shame, Um, under a fake judgment now, under fake unforgiveness, then there's no peace and we're forced to do something about it because we're not wired to live in that way and we naturally want to be happy. And that's okay. But if we live in a state of guilt, we have to deal with that in one way or another. This might mean we have to go right back to the source of the guilt, right back to the top. And um, right back to the cause of it all and try and eradicate the sin to explain it in some other way, to make it, to normalize it or make it acceptable. To argue against the Holy Spirit's conviction of what's right and wrong and just to re- redefine things. And just eradicate the guilt without the need for Jesus. It's the way of the world. In fact, if we can eradicate the concept of sin altogether, usually we are trying to eradicate God. Then we eradicate the feelings of condemnation and shame vanishes and we're just being ourselves and Judgment vanishes and forgiveness is irrelevant now and, uh, and the tables get turned and the concept of needing forgiveness even gets twisted into the message of condemnation. It's a false peace that the world offers. Once the concept of God and sin and forgiveness have been suitably misinterpreted, there's a danger of deafness to what God is saying. Let's move on. Shame would say that guilt is gained and innocence is lost. Forgiveness would say that guilt is lost and innocence is gained. Forgiveness would say that your guilt is gone, you're innocent now. Now live free, guilt-free, innocent in God's eyes. He's paid the price for your sins and they're gone now. Now live like it. And it's that, it's that living like it that has a flip side that I'm concerned about. Uh, see, I believe that if we're, we're created by God to live in community. And from what I can see from our approach to sin is that, um, and, and our approach to understanding of sin is that it can deeply affect the community that we want to position ourselves in. If we like, we're living. If we, if we live like we're convicted, 
um, by the Holy Spirit, forgiven, not under judgment, righteous, worthy to be called children of God, having his peace, guilt lost, innocent gained. If we really want to live like that, and if we're really designed to live in community, then God created a community to live in called the church where we can start to be transformed and healed and restored because we don't come imperfect. My concern is that those that deal with sin differently that stay away from church because they interpret things differently um, uh, with fleshly interpretations so they feel condemned that they aren't good enough, that they're under judgment, that they can't be forgiven. Or maybe they've lived in this place for a while now and find, found a way of redefining the sin that is different but makes them feel better. And they, like the rest of, the human, of humankind, are designed to be in community. My concern is that they find an ungodly community that makes them feel better in their sinful state where they find a form of acceptance uh, that the world offers, where their sin is accepted and normalized and eventually glorified. We live according to that which we set our mind on, good or bad. Let's go back to Romans 8, 5 to 8 again, and it says this, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even through your bod- though your body is subject to death because of sin, the the, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. The effects of, of shame on our lives is costly. It's damaging. It means we don't understand the gospel properly. It means we're doubting his forgiveness. We're not living to our full potential. We're focusing on something other than his grace. Shame robs us of hope. Shame robs us of a confidence to approach God. It causes us to live continually with a sense that God's disapproving towards us. The effects of shame in telling others about Jesus is costly. It restricts our freedom to bless people and restricts our freedom to be authentic with people. It restricts our freedom to have completely open discussions with them and help them find forgiveness because we're not interpreting forgiveness right in our own lives. It will give us feelings of unworthiness and failure and disappointment. Our, Our confidence will be low as we know we're not living authentically set free. Shame is something you carry and it's debilitating and it's tiring. Shame cripples our walk with God. One of the perpetrators of shame is legalistic style perfection. When we demand perfection of others and ourselves, then we create a what if I'm not good enough sort of culture. It's future shame or fear of shame, anxiety. Um, And I believe we all live with some of that. And we have a choice how to live and a choice of encouraging others away from shame and into freedom. Be conscious of not cultivating shame, but freedom in other people's lives as you speak with them. And the antidote to it is living out the gospel daily. 
Shame shows our need for salvation. And when we declare the gospel over our lives, shame dissolves. Shame reminds us of our yesterdays. The gospel forgives us of our yesterdays and reminds us of our present and our future. It's quite heavy. I realise that. I got a cat a few weeks ago. Real one. And uh, Well, probably better to say that we got a cat, actually. Uh, it wasn't really my choice. My lovely daughter bombarded me for about two years uh, with WhatsApp messages and texts and notes left on my bed and knowing her some subliminal advertising as well. And uh, anyway, we ended up with a cat in mid-December. It wasn't a Christmas present. It was just that the time that I couldn't hold out any longer and I just caved, basically. <laughs> anyway, why am I telling you about my cat? Well, it was a rescue cat, actually. Uh, its last owners wanted to put it down. They didn't want it anymore. And v- the vet said, no, I'm not putting it down. They, pu- they put it in our SPCA centre. And that was towards the middle of last year. And this poor cat had lived in a very small caged area, 23 out of 24 hours a day. Um, locked up, no one to communicate with. And then we met her. And um, it could have gone either way. Either she could have been amazingly grateful to us for us adopting her, or she could have just gone psychopathic and, uh, and, <laughs> and just tried to uh, take over our whole lives, basically. And uh, yeah, so which is where we were when we first got her. Um, and uh, she's, she clawed everything. You'd be walking past the dining room table and there'd be a, a claw, the cartoon style, sort of spring out and the claws would just take your ankles out. And um, she's getting better. It's been about six weeks now, something like that. She's softening. She's now allows us to pick her up and she's on her knees and um, she's showing almost gratitude to us, <laughs> taking it out. But um, why on earth am I telling you about my cat? Well, <laughs> it's a journey. She's been taken out of this, this caged place and she's on a journey. And we're having to love her through it. And I guess that's what I just want to say about all of this. It's a journey. It's a walk where we're learning. But it starts with a recognition that you're sensing uh, conviction, not condemnation in, 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 in your lives. And um, to get the peace you've not had before, uh, you have to learn to, to walk in a different way than you have already. But God is for you, not against you on this journey. And I believe he wants you to know that today. There's a final point for each path. And, and I've purposefully left them out till now. Um, as I believe up to this point on the path, at any one of these points down here, there's hope. No matter where you are, whatever you're feeling, what, however you're living, the good news is Jesus is calling you to a life of forgiveness and living for him. And, and calling us all to lay down condemnation and lay down shame and lay down guilt and to turn and live in the world for him so the world might see him. My last point of the, is this. Living without accepting the good news leads to eternal death. And living and reaching out to Jesus and asking for forgiveness and living for him leads to eternal life. So, one last read of Romans 8, verse 6, which says this. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And Paul is saying here that there are final and eternal consequences if we allow sin to control our behaviour. Consequences that stretch into eternity. 
sinful nature leading to eternal death and the way of the Spirit leading to eternal life. Paul shows the stakes are high of how we deal with sin. One way leads to death and one way leads to life. I'm going to wrap up now. Can we bow our heads and I'll pray and... Do you carry shame? Do you have things in your mind, in your heart, that you're carrying that you shouldn't? There may be things that you've carried for years that you've felt condemned about. Well, the good news is today that can stop. Today you can lay down the burdens of guilt and shame. The burdens of the mistakes. The burdens of not being able to live authentically. The burdens of other people's expectations and receive freedom in Christ today. Some of you will be carrying heavy burdens of shame and regrets and disappointments and embarrassments and it's time to let them go. It's time to drop the load you've been carrying. Some of you have been carrying burdens for too long and it's time to let them go. I believe God would say, declare Jesus' salvation over every part of your lives. Receive forgiveness. Receive his healing and come to him. It's time to offload the rubbish and to stop let it limiting you. You're worth more than that. He died for you. You can leave here today guilt-free, free from the burdens if you give them over to Jesus right now. I pray against condemnation in our hearts with the word that Jesus is still forgiving. Forgiveness is not out of reach. No more living with the chains of shame. No more living inauthentically. No more living with thoughts of condemnation because Jesus died that you might be set free. He shed his blood that you and I might be free from condemnation, free from guilt, free from shame. And I want to speak that over your lives uh, in Jesus' name today. There is freedom. And in Jesus' name, let condemnation be replaced with conviction and conviction replaced with the forgiveness that only Jesus can give when we hand our shame over to him. Amen.